0: Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. For those of you that haven't been here, I've been teaching on a series that I've entitled, The War is Over, that God's not mad at men anymore. And the reason for that is because Jesus bore all of God's wrath. He suffered the wrath the rejection of God for us. And because of this, God isn't mad. He's not ticked off at us. God isn't not answering our prayer because of sin. And some of the things that I'm going to share tonight are going to probably really blow your religious circuits. This is going to be very, very different than things that most of us have heard. And, you know, I was talking to uh, some friends of mine out there tonight, Steve and Carmen, and uh, I just said this to them. I hadn't really thought of it in these words, but this was a great way of saying it. I said, you know, some people just uh, don't let the Bible get in the way of their theology at all. And uh, that's really a pretty good way of expressing it. We have our own religious traditions and ways of thinking about it. And God forbid, you know, who cares what the Bible says? Here's what I've been taught my entire life. And we're going to counter a lot of what you've been taught, but we're going to share it from Scripture. And I would like to encourage you tonight to let the Bible get in the way of your theology. Just because this isn't the way you've heard it doesn't mean that it's wrong. But as a whole, and again, I'm saying some things that I wished you had been here if, if you've missed any of this to get this teaching because I've led up to this point, but I'm not going to take time to go back and say all those things again. Make sure you get those tapes. But uh, God has forever settled the sin issue. People really aren't going to go to hell because of sin. The sins of the entire world have been paid for. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says that Jesus is the propitiation, that means the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The sins of lost people have already been paid for. Jesus bore the sins of everyone, not only the people who He knew would accept Him, but even the lost people, people who are rejecting Him and hating Him have already had their sins forgiven. And somebody might be thinking, so you are you saying that there's no point in getting saved, that everybody's saved? No, that's not what I'm saying. God has made the payment, but you have to receive the payment. The Bible says in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 that you are saved by grace through faith. You aren't saved by grace alone. You're saved by grace through faith. Faith Grace is what God does for us, independent of us, completely separate from anything we deserve. And by grace, He has already paid for the sins of the whole world. But you have to put faith in God's grace for it to affect you. And not everybody has responded to God's grace. But the scripture says, Titus chapter 2 verse 11, that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. God's grace that brings salvation has come unto every person. Hitler had the grace of God extended towards him. Hitler had all of his sins forgiven. Jesus paid for every one of Hitler's sins. But as far as we know, Hitler didn't ever put faith in Jesus. Now, he claimed to be a Christian, but there was zero evidence of it. He was uh, consulting astrologers and all kinds of things there is zero evidence that he was truly born again and as far as we know he went into a eternity without god and because he rejected the payment for his sin i believe he will answer for those things but not because the payment wasn't made the payment was made he just didn't accept it so he's going to have to pay for his sins on his own But God paid for the sins of the whole world. Every person's sins have already been atoned for. People aren't going to go to hell for individual sins. They're going to go to hell because they rejected the payment for their sins and tried to pay for their sins on their own. And that is not only God-haters and people who are rebellious. There are going to be multitudes of religious people go to hell because they thought that by going to church and paying their tithes and reading the Bible and trying to be good, that they could pay for their sins. That God would accept them because of some worth or value that they had done. And you know what that is? That is not accepting the payment for their sins. They are still trying to pay for them themselves. There's going to be a lot of people like that in hell. You know, I've often used this example. If you were to have a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu... And a Christian, all stand before God. And if God said, what makes you worthy? You know, the Muslim would say, well, I did jihad. I blew myself up and killed infidels. And so I'm guaranteed a harem in heaven and a place in heaven and stuff because of something that he did because he killed himself and other people. A Buddhist would say, well, I put on one of these robes and shaved my head and took an oath of poverty and shook a tin cup and denied things and they would point to what they've done. And all of these other religions would point to their acts of holiness, whatever their standards are. But you know, if a person is a true born-again Christian and if God says, what makes you worthy... They wouldn't say, well, I went to church and I paid my tithes. If you do that, you are no different than a Hindu, a Muslim, a Buddhist. A true Christian would say, well, it's nothing that I did. I had a Savior. Christianity is the only religion on the face of the earth that has a Savior. Every other religious system makes you have to earn God's favor through your goodness and through acts. And sad to say, there are huge amounts of quote-unquote Christians Trapped in our churches today that are doing the exact same thing as Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, whatever. They are trying to be good enough for God to accept them. They think they have to read the Bible and pray. Or if they don't do these things, God won't answer their prayer. That is not true Christianity. That is not it. Now you can be truly born again because sometimes people will present the initial born again experience as being you just come and we sing the song just as I am without one plea. And so people come to the Lord and accept the initial born again experience as a matter of grace. And they don't come to God on their own, but they ask God to save them. But then they fall into this habit of thinking you got saved by grace. It was totally the grace of God that caused you to get saved. But now, you've got to pray. You've got to fast. You've got to do this and this and this and this. And they fall back into the same old pattern. So, you may be on your way to heaven. But you could still fall back into this legalistic mindset. And this is what the book of Galatians was written about. And Paul said that if you do that, then Christ profits you nothing. And brothers and sisters, I'm saying this in love. I'm not trying to scold. I'm trying to help and open up our eyes to an area that Satan has been deceiving and binding us in. But I can guarantee you there's a lot of people right here in this auditorium tonight that you have prayed and you've received Jesus as your Savior. You're born again. But right now, Christ is profiting you nothing. You can't get healed. You don't have joy. You don't have peace. You don't have excitement. You've got fear and unbelief. If you were arrested for being a Christian, there wouldn't be enough evidence to convict you. There's very little difference between you and your unsaved people at work. There's people that you work with that they would be shocked to find out that you were a Christian. Christ is profiting you nothing, not because he doesn't have power, but because Satan has put forth this lie and we, we think God has this power, but we just feel like, how could he ever do it for me? Because you are back under a sin consciousness thinking you have to earn God's favor. You know you aren't living as well as you should. Your own heart condemns you. And so you don't doubt God's ability. You doubt God's willingness to use his ability on your behalf because you... Feel that God is still holding sin against you. I've been trying to share with you that God placed your sin upon Jesus. Sin is a non-issue with God. Now, He is aware of it and He will convict you and tell you to quit doing this sin. Not because He's going to reject you. He's already paid for it. But Satan is going to destroy you if you go live in sin. The Bible says in John 10, 10, the thief comes for no other purpose except to steal, kill, and destroy. So the Lord will tell you, quit doing this sin, not because He's going to reject you or punish you. He's laid your punishment upon Jesus, but He knows that Satan is going to come in and hinder you and hurt you and take advantage of you if you live in sin. So I'm not saying that God is ignorant of your sin. It's not like He doesn't know what's going on, but it doesn't change God's attitude towards you. Because of sin in your life. He's paid for all of your sins, past, present, and even future tense. And I know some people choke on this. I've had a lot of people criticize me and say, you're a heretic. How dare you say this? I'm going to share some things with you tonight. I'm trying to say all this by way of introduction. Amen. But I'm going to say some things to you tonight that will challenge some of our very dearly held religious traditions that every time you sin that's a new affront against God and you've got to get that sin confessed and under the blood and forgiven and if you don't then there are variations of this. Some people believe you lose your salvation every time there's an unconfessed sin in your life. And if you were to die without getting that sin confessed, you would die and go directly to hell. Even though you've been born again and walking with the Lord for 20 years or whatever, you just lose everything if you have an unconfessed sin in your life. There are people that teach that if you're driving down the road and if you had just gone out... And committed adultery or something. But if you were driving down the road and if you hadn't had it confessed, if you were to have a car wreck, you would die and go to hell because you hadn't repented of that sin. Quietness, quiet in this Presbyterian church. Some of you think, well, what's wrong with that? It's not what scripture teaches. And this is the very reason that most of us aren't having more effect. It's the reason that Christ has become of none effect because we are limiting what God can do because we have tied it to our worth and to our value. And the truth is none of us deserve the blessing of God. Somebody's thinking, well, I don't do those things. I don't commit adultery. I don't do this. The Bible says in James chapter 2 verse 10 that if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point you become guilty of all. I have never said a word of profanity in my 57 years. I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette. But who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's, I've broken the standard. And it's if you miss it a little bit, you miss the whole thing. For somebody to say, well, I don't do these bad things. I always come back and say, so are you perfect? Do you have no sin in your life? Is there nothing wrong... They oh, No, I've got problems. I've sinned. I've come short of the glory of God. Well, if you miss it, you miss it. That's like somebody saying, you know what? You got to jump and touch this ceiling. And if you can touch this ceiling, if you can jump and touch this ceiling, then you can be saved. Anybody who can't do this, I'm going to kill you. Well, you know what? Some of you might jump higher than somebody else. Some of you may not even be able to get off the ground Others could jump 10 feet or whatever, but nobody can jump as high as this ceiling. If that was the minimum requirement, we all die. And that's the way that the Lord, He gave all of these laws. And somebody says, well, I haven't kept them all, but I've done better than you have. There isn't a hell number two or a hell number three. If you miss it, you miss it. Amen. Amen. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and for a person to sit there and say, well, I can't believe a person could commit adultery and drive down the road and if they have a car accident, they die and go to hell. I believe that has to happen. God couldn't accept a person who'd committed adultery. Well, the same Bible that says you shall not commit adultery also says obey the laws of the land. What happens if you're going 56 in a 55 mile an hour zone? You broke the law. You aren't doing what God... T- Some people say, well, now, wait a minute. Huge difference. Huge difference between adultery and going 56. Well, there is a difference as far as people, as far as the consequences here in the physical life. But, you know, with God's standard, He, the same one who said not to commit adultery also said not to gossip, talking about a talebearer. Did you know that gluttony is put in the same verse with drunkenness? The Lord said that if you lust in your heart, it's the same as if you commit it. If you hate in your heart, it's the same as if you murder. If you're going to start saying that I can't believe a person with sin in their heart is going to be accepted by God, well then you might as well give it up because I guarantee you all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's not just in the past. Some of you right now are sinning the things that you're thinking about me. Some of those rotten things and some of the things that you're saying, I'm your brother in the Lord and whether you like it or not, I'm going to heaven, amen, and you've got to love me. God's going to put my house next to yours. We're going to be neighbors throughout all eternity. And you know what? Some of those rotten things you're thinking thinking are wrong. So have you found Hebrews chapter 9 yet? If you haven't, you might as well look on with your neighbor. You probably aren't going to get there anytime soon. Hebrews chapter 9. Let me show you some scriptures what the Bible has to say about how God dealt with sin. Hebrews chapter 9. If I had time to put the whole book of Hebrews into context, this is one of my favorite books. Man, I taught on this over in London and Charlie just loved it. <laughs> I was preaching in Hebrews chapter 7 and people were just looking at me and I said, "Are you getting this?" and Charlie goes, "No!" <laughs> Amen. Praise God. That's really encouraging. (laughs) But Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11 says, But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us now if words mean anything think about these words jesus entered in once once you know what once means once It means he doesn't do it over and over and over. Every time you sin, the Lord doesn't have to wait until you repent and then get that sin under the blood. We will talk about people saying, well, you know, you're already born again, but you've sinned. Have you gotten that sin under the blood? Have you repented? The Lord has to reapply the blood every time you mess up to your sin. This says he entered in once into the holy place. And obtained eternal redemption. Not short term redemption. Not redemption till the next time you sin. And then you have to repent and get redeemed again. Get the blood reapplied. This says he entered in one time into the holy place. Having obtained eternal redemption for us. If you were to just sit there and let this soak in and think about this in contrast to what we've been taught, did you know it would just, for most people it would pull the rug right out from under you. It would, it would just shake you to the foundation of everything you believe. Most Christians believe that when you come to the Lord, you get your sins forgiven up to that point. And then, every time you sin after you 're a christian you 've got to run to the Lord with that sin and repent of it and confess it and if you don 't then you would the extreme would be you die and go to hell with an unconfessed sin, or you are out of fellowship the the uh, terminology that is used in uh, religion most of the time is backslid. You're backslid. If you die in a backslidden state, you would die and go to hell until you get that sin repented of and back into relationship with God. Or there is a milder form of the exact same thing. People will say, you don't lose your salvation If you were to die with an unconfessed sin or in a backslidden state, you would still go to heaven, but you can't enjoy any of the presence of God. God won't fellowship with a dirty vessel. God can't fill a dirty vessel. God can't answer your prayers if you've got any sin in your life. Again, let me just say that if that's true, then He had not got anybody to fellowship with, and He's not going to answer anybody's prayer. Because we're all got things wrong with us. Sin isn't only what you're doing, you know there's a command and you are violating it, but it says, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. What is that? James 4:17, I believe. To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. So, if you use the Bible definition of what sin is, if you know that you're supposed to love somebody if you know that you're supposed to be praying and interceding, if you have been convicted by God that you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church, if you are supposed to honor your husband the same way that the church is supposed to honor Christ, if you're supposed to do any of these things, and if you're failing, which if you're breathing, you're failing, then we've all sinned. And if that was true that you couldn't have any fellowship with God as long as there's a sin in your life. Nobody could ever fellowship with God. And basically, that's what's happening. We've adopted this statement, this lie, that every time you sin, it's a new offense against God. It's got to be reconfessed and put under the blood. And because of this, we just know in our heart, we're just blowing it all of the time. And we just feel unworthy. And because of this, we don't have any confidence that God really loves us. We will say that God loves us. But then we'll turn around and say, oh yeah, I know why He hasn't healed me of cancer. God's letting me suffer. God killed my children. God let this car wreck happen. God did these tragedies. God's the one that sent 9-11. God's the one that sent the hurricanes because God's ticked off and we say that He loves us out one side of our mouth and out of the next side of our mouth say that He's judging us because of the sin that's in our life. Those are incompatible. I'm preaching better than you're listening. Says he obtained eternal redemption for us. Verse thirteen, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, what he's doing? He's writing to Hebrews, he's writing to Jewish Christians. He's writing to people who were aware of the Old Testament law and all of the covenants and the rituals. And he was writing to them. And he says, if the Old Testament sacrifices had any benefit to them, how much greater is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus? All those Old Testament sacrifices were doing was pointing towards the sacrifice that Jesus was going to make. So that's what he said in verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Man, I could preach on this for an hour. I really want to go on, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But this is the problem right here is that we have a conscience that has been defiled. We haven't purged our conscience with the truth about what Jesus has done with our sins. And Satan is dragging up things that you have done and telling you, sure, God exists and God has power, but He won't do it for you, you sorry thing. And we are allowing Satan's condemnation to destroy our faith and our confidence in God because we know we don't deserve it. Good news, gospel, you don't deserve it. But God isn't giving you what you deserve. You are getting what God deserves. You get to use the name of Jesus and God is not angry at you and holding your sins against you. He entered in one time, paid for all of your sins, past, present and even the sins you haven't committed yet are already paid for. Your sins have already been forgiven. Some of you are saying, how could that be? Well, keep reading. In verse 15, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. You don't just have inheritance. You aren't just a family member until the next time you sin and then you lose it. Or you either lose all of the privileges and God puts you on a uh, list of uh, you know, children that can't receive anything. You don't have any of the benefits because you haven't been living right. Nope. You get eternal inheritance. Did you know that the moment you are born again... You are as forgiven as you will ever be. When you go to be with the Lord in heaven, you aren't going to get more cleansed. Now, the only difference is that this part of us that was born again is the spirit. And you have a body and a soul that do get defiled by sin. Your conscience gets defiled. Satan comes in and takes advantage of you. And so when we go to be with the Lord, we're going to get a glorified body and soul there is going to be a change that takes place, but right now in your spirit, your spirit is as born again right this moment as it will ever be. You are as clean and holy and pure as Jesus is in your born again spirit. And some of you are thinking, how can that be? And it's because you go look in a mirror and you see problems. You see zits and wrinkles and gray hairs and bulges and lack of hair and some of you are just ugly, amen. And you look at this and you think, how could I be righteous? Well, it's not talking about your physical body. And then you search your soulish realm and you see thoughts and attitudes and feelings. And you know you aren't the way that you're supposed to be. And because of it, you just think, I, I just can't understand. How could I be righteous? How could this be as good as it gets? It's because it's your spirit that got born again. It's the spirit part of you that is created in righteousness and true holiness. And you can't see your spirit in a mirror. And you can't feel your spirit. Your spirit can only be perceived through the word of God. Jesus said in John 6:63, 6, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. If you want to know what you're like in your spirit, you have to look in the word of God. Hold it up like a spiritual mirror. When somebody says, how are you? Most of us... Oh, I got this pain over here and the doctor said this and you describe your physical body or you'll search your soul and say I'm discouraged or something like that. But you know what? That's not the real you. The real you is that born again part of you. When somebody says, how are you? You ought to hold this up and look and say, well, right here, Ephesians 1, 3. I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings. I'm above only and not beneath. I'm the head and not the tail. Man, I am blessed, 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 blessed. But most of us don't know ourselves in the spirit. We only know ourselves in the outward man. But if you are in Christ, you're a new creature. Old things have passed away. That's not talking about your body. It's not talking about your soul. It's talking about your spirit. So in the spirit realm, you are as righteous, as holy, as pure as Jesus is. You are forgiven and cleansed. You have had eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. Inheritance. Jesus only purges us one time. He doesn't have to repurge us. Somebody's thinking, now how could God forgive a sin before I commit it? You know, I don't know exactly how all this happens, but let me tell you this. Jesus only died for our sins one time 2,000 years ago. You better hope He can forgive a sin before you committed it because He hasn't died for your sins since you've sinned. He anticipated, I don't know, it's just God. It, he God knows the end from the beginning and God knew the sins of the whole world and He took your sins and paid for them before you ever committed them. That's good news. Look in verse 16, it says, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. You know what, just for time's sake, I'm going to have to jump on down. Let's look in verse 23. It says, It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. He was talking about the Old Testament temple and tabernacle. They had all of these things that symbolize things that are true in heaven. There is actual a mercy seat in heaven. There is actually an uh, altar of incense Everything that was described in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple, they told Moses to make it according to the pattern that he saw in the mount. He actually saw into heaven and there is a temple in heaven and all of those things were pictures of things that exist in the spiritual realm. And they all symbolized something that Jesus was going to do. The veil of the temple was the physical body of Jesus that separated between the holy of holies and the holy place. And when Jesus died, the veil was rent in twain from the top to the bottom symbolizing that the way now to God is now available through Jesus. He His flesh was uh, broken for us. So anyway, all of these Old Testament things, they had animal sacrifices and these rituals that they went through and they did them over and over and over because people needed to be reminded over and over and over. But the real sacrifice that was made for our sins isn't something that has to be done over and over and over. It was only done one time. Jesus died for the sins of the entire world one time and He dealt with all sins of all people for all times and you do not have to go to the Lord every time you mess up and feel like you've got to work your way back into the favor of God. Get it all confessed or God won't answer your prayers. And so that's what this is talking about. In verse 24 it says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. The high priest went into the Holy of Holies every year on the Day of Atonement and made a sacrifice. Plus, there was a morning and an evening sacrifice and then there was all of the sacrifices. Every time a person sinned, they brought a sacrifice and they had to offer those sacrifices. So there was just a constant flowing of blood and people making sacrifices sacrifices in the old testament because they were just pictures they weren't the real thing and he's contrasting these priests went in constantly all of the time making atonements but jesus only entered in once if jesus was doing it the way it was done in the old testament he would have had to have offered himself many many times but jesus only offered himself for our sins one time is the point that is being made In verse 26 it says, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As it is appointed unto man once to die, but after that the judgment. So Christ being once offered to bear the sins of many was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. This whole thing is contrasting and then in the Old Testament they offered the same sacrifices over and over and over because they couldn't really work. They were only shot types, shadows, pictures. But Jesus could work His sacrifice was the real deal and it only had to be offered one time and it dealt with all sins for all people for all times. He entered in once and obtained eternal redemption for us. So it goes on to say in chapter 10, For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered... That's a question. It's got a question mark. If the Old Testament sacrifices could have worked, then they'd have quit offering them. Because the worshipers, once purged, should have had no more conscience of sin. Now the Old Testament sacrifices couldn't work so there was a sin consciousness and they did offer the same sacrifices over and over and over. But the New Testament sacrifice of Jesus did work and therefore we should have no more sin consciousness. That is just radical. That is radical. That is so different than the way most people think. And brothers and sisters, again, I'm not trying to scold anybody, but I'm trying to make my point and get this across. I guarantee you, most of you are sin conscious. I'm not saying that to belittle you. Yeah, I struggle with the same thing. It's just ground into you. People don't teach, treat you by grace. People don't say, whatever you do, I'm going to love you regardless. There isn't a role model for this. Your employer doesn't hire you by grace and say, I want you to know whether you ever show up, whether you do your job, regardless of how you act, I'm a grace man. And so it doesn't matter what you do. You have guaranteed cost of living, raises, promotions, and all of these things, whether you ever do anything or not. That's not the way your employer hires you. It's all based on performance. And so everything in the world is based on performance. If you don't perform, you get fired. You get demoted. Even in marriage, we're supposed to love each other unconditionally. But I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of people that have come to me for counseling. And they always say, well, I'm mad at them because of this. And I say, well, you're supposed to forgive them. Well, I know, but they did this. You know what you're saying? You're giving that person what they deserve. You don't love them unconditionally. Even in marriage, we treat people based on performance. We treat our kids based on performance. We tell them that when they do good, we sing their praises. When they do bad, we sing their, uh, what do you, I don't know. Anyway, we punish them That's what it amounts (laughs) to. We hurt them. And so you know what? Just everything around us is all based on performance. But the Lord made a sacrifice to where He forgave you. You didn't deserve to be forgiven. No one, none, a single one of us deserves salvation. None of us deserve to be forgiven. God just forgave you because He's a good God. God is a good God and He loves you and God is forgiven. And because of that, you know what? We shouldn't have a sin consciousness. And yet most of us are just... Modeling our relationship with God after the way our fathers treated us or the way somebody else has treated us. But you know what? God is greater than any person you've ever dealt with. God has forgiven all of your sin and you should have no more sin consciousness. And yet the average Christian approaches God by saying, Oh God, I come before you so humbly today. Lord, forgive me of my many sins. It's like we feel like we have to mention all of our sins and make sure we mention it quickly. Or if we mention it, then God might not mention it. But if we don't mention it, God's going to mention it. We just have a sin consciousness constantly. There are some of you that every time you go before God, you got to cry. you got to be sad. Oh, God, and you're just pleading with God. You feel so ungodly. And in the natural realm, you may be acting ungodly. But if you are truly born again in your spirit, you are the righteousness of God. You are born again. And the Bible says in John chapter 4 verse 24 that God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If you approach God in your spirit and you say, oh God, I'm just so ungodly, I'm so unworthy, how could you love me? You're in the flesh. You aren't in the spirit. Your spirit's not defiled. Your spirit's not ungodly. Your spirit is righteous and holy and pure. And some of you think, well, not my spirit. You don't know what I've been doing. You don't know what God has done. You were created in righteousness and true holiness, Ephesians 4.24. And then Ephesians 1.13 says, Once you were created in righteousness and true holiness, you were vacuum-packed, sealed by the Holy Spirit. So when you sin as a Christian, sin will affect your physical body. It will give Satan an opportunity against you in the physical realm. And it will affect your mind and your emotions, your soulish realm. But your spirit is sealed. Sin can't penetrate that seal of the Holy Spirit. And you are created in righteousness and true holiness and you do not lose that right standing with God. Your spirit is as pure right this moment as the moment it was born again. And your spirit is as pure right now as it will ever be in all of eternity. As Jesus is, so are you in this world. 1 John chapter 4 verse 17. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. You are righteous in your spirit and it's sealed. It never fluctuates. And God is a spirit. And if you worship Him in spirit and in truth, then you can come right before Him even though you haven't done everything that you should have done in your physical actions. God is a spirit and He relates to you spirit to spirit and He sees you clean and holy and pure even though you aren't that way in your physical man. Man, that is good news. And so, we should come before the Lord without any sin consciousness. Without thinking about how sorry you are. You know, if you've messed up, instead of talking about to God about how sorry you are, talk to God about how awesome He is to love somebody as sorry as you are. <laughs> Praise Him for His goodness. Amen. Instead of talking about your badness, praise Him for His goodness because he's, His mercies are new every morning. He doesn't change. God is not imputing sin unto you. Man, I'd love to say more about that, but I've got to drop on down to verse 10. In verse 10, it's talking about that the person who made this covenant with us died to put His will into effect, and then He rose from the dead to enforce, probate His own will. That's a good deal. Jesus made a covenant with us. It went into effect when he died and then he rose from the dead to make sure that his will is being carried out. And in verse 10, it says, by the which will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You have been sanctified. Now again, I hope that the Bible gets in the way of your theology and your tradition. I'm telling you, this is scripture. The Bible says that we are sanctified through the offering of Jesus Christ once for all. Now some of you may be thinking, well maybe that's not talking about once for all times, but maybe that's saying that one sacrifice was for all men, but then it still has to be reapplied every time you sin. Keep reading. Look in verse 11. It says, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, it's making a contrast between the way it was done in the Old Covenant with the way it's done in the New Covenant. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Not just one sacrifice for everyone's sins, but one sacrifice for your sins forever, length of time. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Verse 10 says you were sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14 says if you were sanctified you have also been perfected Forever. Again, some people think perfect and they go look in the mirror and they think this is as good as it gets. They search their soul and their emotions. No, it's not talking about your physical body and it's not talking about your soul. But in your born again spirit, the part of you that was totally changed, your spirit is perfect. Your spirit is identical to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's sinless. It's sealed so that when you sin in your physical body, that sin will give Satan an inroad to your body to put sickness on you and cause things like that. When you sin with your soul, it will come in and it will defile your thinking. Sin will make you spiritually retarded. It will take away your ability to think. But it doesn't penetrate your spirit. Your spirit has been sanctified and perfected forever. And another scripture, just to verify that, chapter twelve, Hebrews chapter twelve, verse twenty three. I'm breaking right into the middle of this. But it says... Well, let's, let's go back to verse 22. It says, But you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. The context of this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, You've been sanctified and perfected forever. Which part of you is perfect? Your spirit is a part of you that has been made perfect. You are perfect. Your little spirit is perfect. It would have been wonderful if God would have given us a perfect head that thought and knew all things, but that has yet to come. We are in the process of renewing our mind, and that's what this whole meeting is about, is to share truths with you that a lot of people haven't ever heard. But the truth is that in your spirit, you are sanctified and perfected forever. God has forgiven you of all sin. There is no, God is not mad at you. God is a spirit and he sees you in the spirit. Now he's aware that you've got a physical body and a soul that does things wrong, but God looks at you in the spirit. You are his workmanship is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9. And he looks at you. If you've accepted Jesus as your savior, he looks at you and he says, perfect holy, pure, righteous. You've got all of the benefits, all of the privileges that Jesus has because it is not just your spirit that has somehow or another been changed, dusted off, refurbished. But it says in... uh, galatians chapter 4 verse 6 that he has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying abba father you literally have had jesus put his spirit on the inside of you and i'm not talking about the holy spirit i'm talking about the born again spirit of jesus you have the spirit of christ in you And romans chapter 8 verse 9 says if any man doesn't have the spirit of christ he isn't any of his If you say, I don't believe I've got the Spirit of Christ, well, then you need to be born again. Because if you're born again, you've got to have the Spirit of Christ or you are none of His. You have a born-again spirit that is identical to Jesus because it is His Spirit on the inside. You have His faith, His knowledge, His power, His victory. Everything that is true of Jesus is true of your born-again spirit. And your spirit is sealed so that you don't ever lose that. God is the Spirit. He sees you in the Spirit. He deals with you based on who you are in the Spirit. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, I believe it is, it says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Notice it didn't say the glory which shall be revealed to us. See, most Christians, they sing about when we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. Further along, we'll know all about it. And we think about heaven, oh, how wonderful heaven's going to be. And heaven is going to be wonderful because we're going to get a glorified body and a glorified soul that knows all things and no longer struggles with doubt and unbelief and things like that. But it says that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Not to us, but in us. We're going to stand before God and when we know all things and all of a sudden God straightens out all of our theology and we understand everything even as also we are known, we are going to look and say, You mean I was forgiven? This whole time that I went around feeling ungodly and feeling like God, you you do it for other people but you would never do it for me because I haven't done this and I'm not good enough and I haven't done this. And you're going to find out that you had the glory of God on the inside of you. You're going to find out that you were as righteous and holy as pure as Jesus. That you had raising from the dead power on the inside of you according to Ephesians chapter 1 verses 18 and 19. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, you had it in you the whole time and yet we spent all of our time praying and asking god to send it down and believing that there were demons stopping our prayer from getting up to god stupid stupid stuff well that's what happened to daniel well daniel didn't have god living in him but we got god living in us The devil i don't care what the devil's doing out there he's not going to block my prayer that's the reason I bow my head when I pray, so that I can look at God. God's here, amen. Some of us look like you got more of God than others, but you don't. God lives right here on the inside. I don't need my prayers to get above the ceiling. I don't need my prayers to get above the no, my nose, amen. God's right here on the inside of me, and I am God-possessed. If you were to start thinking this way and start acknowledging the good things that are in you, Philemon chapter 1 verse 6 says, I pray that the communication of your faith would become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we are sit- the average Christian today believes God can do anything, but that He has done nothing. And they are asking God to heal them and asking God to touch them, and oh God, please Show your love to me. Oh, God, please pour out your love in my life. If you understood what I'm talking about, that's an insult to God. God has already poured out His love. When you got born again, He put His Son on the inside of you. You have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Your spirit is always rejoicing. Your spirit is always healthy. Your spirit is always believing. It's always full of hope. Your spirit is always exactly like Jesus is. And the only reason you don't benefit from it is because your mind is going more by what it feels in the physical realm than what you see in the Word of God. We trust what we see in a mirror more than we trust what we see in the spiritual mirror of the Word of God. And we are basing our life on external things, how we feel and how it looks like rather than what the truth of the Word of God has to say. In the spirit, you're changed. You're as clean and pure as you'll ever get. One-third of your salvation is over. When you go to heaven, your spirit's not going to be dusted off. It's not going to be given an injection that will bring it up to its full potential. It's not going to grow. It's not going to mature. Your spirit is as complete, as pure, as holy, as mature as it will ever get. The maturity in the Christian life isn't trying to grow your spirit up. It's trying to educate your brain to what you already have in your spirit. You're already perfect. God loves you even though you've messed up, even though you aren't what you're supposed to be. God loves you not because of what you do, but because of what He did. He gave you eternal redemption, eternal inheritance. He has sanctified and perfected you forever. Your spirit is perfect. And you can enter right now into the presence of God and you have the same rights and privileges with God, the Father that Jesus has, because you have the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ living on the inside of you. And the only thing that is hindering us is that we don't know what we've got. And we have fallen for these things that tell us that every time you sin, God turns His back on you. God is grieved. God is upset with your sin. I'm telling you that Jesus paid for all of your sins. He's anticipated everything you've ever done, everything you're ever going to do, and He's paid for all of it. Now, that's not to encourage you to go live in sin because if you live in sin, even though God's forgiven it, Satan is going to take an advantage of you every time you sin. You're going to open up a door to the devil and Satan is going to make you pay for it and sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay and keep you longer than you want to stay. You do not want to live in sin. But I'm saying that we all fail and if you think that God turns away from you, will not answer your prayer, doesn't love you, isn't as pleased with you because you haven't been studying the Word as much as you did one time, if you think any of those things, Satan is going to take that kind of thinking to depress you, to discourage you, to keep you from trusting and believing in the presence and the power of God. Brothers and sisters, this is where Satan is beating. It all centers around sin. Sin is the only thing Satan ever had on us, it's the only inroad he's ever had. And Satan isn't really telling you, oh, God can't do that. God can't do miracles. You know, I mentioned this, I think it was last night or something, but this isn't your nod to God crowd. This is Friday night. You aren't getting any points for this. This isn't your obligation, your weekly obligation. You're out here because you're a fanatic, or you were drugged here by a fanatic. <laughs> Y'all believe in the supernatural power of God. It's not that you doubt that God has power. If you didn't, if you didn't believe those things, you wouldn't be here. But yet many of you here don't see the supernatural power of God. You believe God can do it, but where Satan is beating us is not telling us that God can't do anything. God can't perform miracles. That's not what he's doing. He's he's not even impugning the character of God. What he's doing is saying, sure, God can do it, but you're a sinner. You don't deserve it. God won't do it for you. There are some of you that have more faith in my prayers than you have in yours because you see me on television, hear me on radio, and you think, oh, this guy's got it together or whatever. But you know what the truth is? If you knew me as well as you know you, you wouldn't have any more faith in my prayers than you got in your prayers. Man, it takes faith for me to believe that God's going to answer my prayers, because I know me. And the reason, you know you. And that's that's where you're missing it, is because you're sin conscious and you're still thinking, I've got to get over these things. I had a woman come to me and, and asked me to pray with her over smoking. And she just cried and she was so ashamed. I hate to admit it and stuff. Did you know you don't go to hell for smoking? You smell like you've been there, but you do not go to hell for smoking. God isn't mad at you if you smoke. I don't think it's a good testimony. It's not healthy for you. And if you're telling somebody else, oh, God can set you free, and yet you want to quit smoking, and you can't get free, that's not good. I'm not advocating smoking, but I'm saying that God isn't mad at you. God doesn't hate you if you smoke. That's not going to send you to hell. You know, I got a real education the first time I ever left the United States and went over to Europe because I was raised in a strict Baptist home we didn't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do. We didn't mow the lawn on Sunday. You didn't wash dishes on Sunday. It was work. We observed the Sabbath, which of course the Sabbath wasn't Sunday, but we observed Sunday as the Sabbath. <laughs> we we did all of these things. We were, we were very holy and did all this stuff. And man, when I went to Austria the first time, it just played a little bit with my little Baptist mind because... We had about 100, 200 people there and they were sitting around tables and they were serving them all beer. This was a church. And they served everybody a whole lager, a whole pitcher of beer and they gave them all free beer for as long as I spoke. It was one of the few times that nobody minded how long I went. They would have been fine with them if I'd have gone all that long. And here's my little Baptist mind preaching away and people just drinking and praise God and worshiping God. But then, you know what? In They drink beer. Christians drink beer in Austria. But if you drink coffee... If you taste coffee, you go directly to hell. You do not pass go. You do not collect $200. You go straight to hell if you drink coffee in Austria. They can't believe that a Christian would drink coffee. And then you cross the border over into Hungary, and they drink coffee and beer. But if you smoke a cigarette in Hungary, you go directly to hell. And you know what I begin to realize? That, you know, God couldn't treat Hungarians differently than He does Austrians and then He does America. I got to thinking some of this is kind of man's interpretation of things. Now, am I saying that we should go drink and smoke? And No, that's not what I'm saying. And if you go out of here and misquote me, you're blessed anyway. God loves you. <laughs> I started to put you under guilt and condemnation, but that wouldn't be right, would it? God loves you, stupid. But I am not saying that you're supposed to go do all these things. They're damaging to your health. It's not a good witness. But I am saying that, you know what, we have condemned ourselves when God isn't condemning us. Over in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, it says, Beloved, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and He knows all things. That's saying that, you know what, you can be condemned when that God isn't the one condemning you. Many of us say, oh, God's been on my case and has been dealing with me about this, when the truth is it's not true. It's just your religion. I remember the first time I ever skipped a Wednesday night church service... Because my girlfriend, who was in the ninth grade, invited me to go over to her house. And I felt bad about it, but I just went anyway. When I got there, there was two other ninth grade couples, and they were dancing. Now, it was bad to skip out on church. First time I'd ever skipped church in my life. But they were dancing, and I mean, I wasn't even driving. In the ninth grade, I called my brother and asked him to come get me. And I was at church before it was over at the altar asking forgiveness that God wouldn't strike me dead because I was in a place where people were dancing. And I was defiled over that for weeks. And you know what? God wasn't the one that was defiling me. It was my own religious teaching and stuff. You've been beating yourself up. You know, you can't even blame it on the devil. Many of you can't even blame the devil for being the one to condemn you because all he did was teach you something and you've been doing such a good job. He's been on vacation ever since. (laughs) The devil doesn't have to condemn you. You are doing a bang-up job of destroying yourself. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, God's not mad at you. He's not even in a bad mood. God loves you. God looks at you in the Spirit and He says, Man, you're awesome. He sees your potential. He sees the glory of God that He's placed on the inside of you. And just, you know, if God could be confused, I believe God would be confused. Listening to our stupid prayers Oh, God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. I'm sure God's saying, didn't I I know somewhere in the book I have (laughs) promised them that I would never leave them nor forsake them. And yet they pray, oh God, just be with us tonight as we meet. What a stupid prayer. How's God going to answer that prayer when He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And we say, oh God, just come and be with us. Or the church we were at Sunday (laughs) there... It was funny, Gail and David were standing next to me and they're good friends. And anyway, the worship leader was, Oh God, come and visit us. God, we ask you to come down, come down and visit us. (laughs) And I heard David saying, thank you that you're already here. You don't have to come visit. (laughs) I looked down the row and they were all saying stuff contrary. They were all saying, thank you that you're already here. But we prayed some of the stupidest prayers. Jamie brought this out. You know, when you ask somebody to come visit, that means they aren't a permanent resident. A visitor comes and stays for a brief while and then they're expected to leave. It might be a day or a week, but you, don't, you know, if you're a visitor, you don't move in. What a terrible concept. Come visit us. Man, He ought to be there all of the time. And plus, you shouldn't have to ask Him to come. He said He's always here. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. We pray stupid prayers because we don't understand that it's already done, that in our spirit you got all of God that you can get. You don't need God to stretch forth His hand and touch you. He's already put Himself on the inside of you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead already indwells every last one of you that have been born again. You don't need more of God You need to find out what you've got. You need to acknowledge the good things that are on the inside of you and then your faith will begin to start working. Philemon chapter 1 verse 6. Brothers and sisters, God's already done everything. You've already got everything that you're looking for. Everything that you're praying for, it's already happened. You're begging God, oh please forgive me of this sin and the truth is He's already forgiven you before you even asked. Somebody's thinking, so do you have to? Are you saying you don't have to repent? The word repent means to turn and go the other way. Yes, you need to repent and turn and go the other way because if you persist in sin, Satan is going to eat your lunch and pop the bag. You don't need to give Satan that kind of an inroad. It's stupid to live in sin. So, yes, you need to repent and turn from it, but for what purpose? so that God will accept you, so that you won't go to hell, because you lost your salvation every time you sinned? No. If you believe that, how in the world are you ever going to progress? How are you ever going to grow? You don't go through a day without sinning in the sense that you are failing to be everything that you should be. What would it be like if a little child never grew, but every day they had to be born again again? If they had to get born every day and start over from an infant every day, man, I guarantee you there wouldn't be much progression in life. You don't have to get born again again. There is no such thing as being born again again. You don't lose your salvation every time you sin. God doesn't fall off His throne because you messed up. He knew it was all coming. He dealt with it. Let me give you one last example here. You know, when I was... Um, My sister is a Christian. She's seen people raised from the dead, and she loves God. And uh, my sister, anyway, had a daughter, still has a daughter, but now, I mean, this is 25, 30 years ago when her daughter was at home, and this was one of the most rebellious kids that you'd ever meet. I mean, she just knew how to push your hot buttons. She was a pill. And my sister was fixing supper, and uh, my brother-in-law was bringing somebody home from the college. He's a professor at the college. And they were he's bringing somebody home. So Joyce was fixing supper and getting ready. And my niece was in there just agitating her and saying things and smarting off. And anyway, Joyce was busy and doing all of this. And finally, my niece just said something. And Joyce just talled off and hit her and knocked her flat of her back in the kitchen. And when she did that, here's my sister, a born-again believer, spirit-filled, Loves God. She knew better than to do that kind of stuff. And so she just stopped and ran upstairs, threw herself across the bed. And she says, God, you've got to help me. She says, if I start crying, I'm not going to come out of here until in the morning. I've got to get supper ready. I've got to pull things together. God, I need a word. Help. And the Lord spoke to her and said, Joyce, when you were eight years old and asked me to save you, I knew that you were going to do this. I've already forgiven it. It's okay. It's okay. I still love you. And you know what? That allowed her to be able to deal with it and not let sin have dominion over her. And she was able to get up and go down. And you know what that did? It didn't make her go down and say, Hey, I'm forgiven. God's already forgiven me. So just beat her daughter up. Amen. Because after all, I'm already forgiven. No, that's not what she did. She went down and asked her daughter to forgive her and said, I'm sorry, I did And She was able to go on because she didn't feel like it was something brand new that had just offended the Lord and that God had to be appeased. It was already done. Did you know all of the things that you're agonizing over and that you feel like you can't just repent of it and, and go on? You've got to suffer for a while. This was so bad that you expect at least for a day or two or three days or a week, you can't expect God to love you because you really blew it this time. And you feel that you've got to do penance. You know what? That's totally unnecessary. God doesn't look at it that way. God's already paid for your sins. He was satisfied when he saw Jesus suffer for your sins. Everything that you've ever done, Jesus paid for it. And God the Father forsook His Son and punished His Son and actually released anger and rejection towards His Son for your sin. And He's not going to make you pay for what His Son has already paid for. There is nothing left to pay. You can't add anything to what Jesus has done. There is nothing that you can do. Your wallowing in the dirt isn't going to make God love you anymore. God loves you not because of your goodness, but because of Jesus' goodness and what Jesus did for you. And you need to change the basis of your relationship from being your own goodness and your own performance. And you need to start relating to God based on what Jesus did for you and putting faith in Him. And when you do that, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And therefore, your relationship will become steady and secure. You won't have highs and lows. You won't go through the pit and through the valley and feel like God is forsaking you if you ever understand what I'm talking about. Some of you are going to believe I'm lying here or disbelieve or disagree with me, but it's my testimony and I'm sticking to it. And you know what? Since the Lord showed this to me 35 years ago, I haven't been depressed a single time. I've had depressing things happen and I've been tempted to be depressed, but I know this truth and I know that God loves me and I know that in my spirit there is love, joy, peace and all of these things and I have been able to refuse and reject that and I live a happy life. I am steady. I'm secure. Even when I was told that my son had died. You know what? I had temptation to get into pity or fear or hurt or pain or grief the same as anybody would, but I don't like that. And I just decided I'm not going to grieve over this. I am not going to be upset. I am not going to sorrow over this. And I started praising God and worshiping God. And as soon as I did, man, faith rose up on the inside and I told Jamie, watch this. This is going to be awesome. And after our son was dead for five hours and turned black, he came back from the dead and he's the one that beat Linus in bowling. (laughs) Not bad for a guy that was dead most of the day. You can sit there and say, I can't believe that. I don't believe you can do those kind of things. That's obvious. But I'm telling you, this is my testimony and I'm sticking with it. I found out that I'm a new person in Christ and I'm not letting what I feel in my flesh dominate me. People that are depressed and discouraged are people who are living in the flesh, looking at the physical realm and they don't know who they are in Christ. If you know who you are in Christ, if you see that your sins are forgiven, if worse comes to worse, and if you die, you go directly into the presence of God, inherit a mansion that you'll live in the rest of your life, walk on streets of pure gold, get to meet the one personally who's loved you and died for you. Man, what a great deal. You got nothing to be discouraged over. If the doctor tells you you're going to die, just kiss him. Say, awesome, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a wonderful thing. And some of you think, "Ah, that's just preacher stuff. You can't live that way. I do. You can do it. Brothers and sisters, God's awesome. He's been good to us. And it's only our own religious bondage that is keeping us from appreciating and receiving it. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. And so that's what this whole seminar is for, is to try and share some of these truths with you that God has shared with me. And I guarantee you that what what these truths have done in my life, they will at least do that much for you. And I believe that if you were to take them and meditate on it, you could go far beyond the things that God has shown me and done in my life. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to be up and down. If we would get into Jesus and start basing our life on what He has done and not let Satan put you back under sin that you've been redeemed from, you know what? Nothing, nothing could destroy you. Your faith would go through the roof. Isn't that good? God loves every one of us. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Well, I just know in my heart that if you've received this, that the Holy Spirit is right here in this room tonight to touch people's lives, to help you understand. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. There are some of you being set free right now. God is doing some wonderful things in here. You need to cooperate. You need to let the Holy Spirit show you this. I know some of you are saying, but this is contrary to everything I've ever heard. Well, just look at it this way. What good is what you've heard doing you? Most people I know are discontent. They know that there's something more. They know they're living below the privileges, and yet they fight with everything they've got to hold on to the same truths that are keeping them in bondage. If it's not working, at least be smart enough to say, well, praise God, it's not working for me. I'll at least try what this guy's saying. You ought to at least be open to it. You know, if there's anyone here tonight who's not born again, you need to be born again.